travel, it's one of life's greatest pleasures. When we journey abroad, we discover new places and meet fascinating people, but we also gain perspective and take on a wider view of the world around us. That was Trevor Ranges, and I'm Scott Coates. After more than 25 years living and working in Asia, we've developed an amazing network of interesting characters throughout the region. Talk Travel Asia is our way of sharing them with you. Plug in and get connected to hot tips, interesting perspectives, and expert travel advice as we cultivate travel insight through intelligent conversation. Welcome to Talk Travel Asia, episode 42, Travel Guides, Online Resources, and Mobile Apps. Where and how we traveled has changed dramatically over the last couple decades. What's changed at an even faster pace is the way we plan our trips and the tools we use. Just a few years ago, travel guides were more or less the holy grail of learning about where to go, how to get there, and most importantly, how to find a decent place to sleep. In just a few years, we've started to ditch printed books for websites and increasingly turn to our mobile devices while on the road. Today, we'll look at the tools that are shaping how we travel and ones we enjoy using. So from Bangkok, this is Scott Coates, and joining me as always is my co-host. Trevor Ranges on the other side of town. How are you doing today, Scott? Good. Uh, you can probably almost see my condo from where you are because it's so tall and sticks out. Yeah, so we can probably almost see each other if we got binoculars or yep. something. Using technology here at work. Yeah, well, uh, you were a travel book writer for a while, the way in. Yeah, um, for many years I, I wrote travel guidebooks, first for Fodor's and then for National mm -hmm. Geographic. Uh, yep. I also did a lot of work for the Tourism Authority of Thailand. Uh, we revamped their website to make it Web 2.0, and we developed social media programs and platforms for the TAT. Um, Scott, right. you have worked on various country editions and city editions of the Groovy Map which mm -hmm. is a travel guidebook map. And of course, yep. you were a partner in a luxury travel company. So yeah. we're both no stranger to planning travel. Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. Now, I agree with what you said in the, just briefly about the, the past decade, the landscape of travel information changing a lot. And I think the biggest yeah. change is obviously this shift from print to online and mobile. Mm. Um, during that time, I, I worked with our friend Arthur trying to develop a next-generation travel website and mobile platform. Uh, one of the great challenges we experienced was simply that the landscape was changing so quickly. Um, while print guidebooks were struggling, no single alternative product really came along and, and offered the best new solution. Yeah, you know, I mean, people are still buying travel books, but I mean, they're obviously relying more and more on websites like TripAdvisor and other online travel sources. And it's kind of tough to know when you look at these things, like, is is what's being said on there true? Has the operator gamed the system and gotten, you know, a thousand of their buddies to make posts? Or the thing I always go through, too, is like, I don't know that person posting. Maybe their idea of a good hotel or a good restaurant is just completely different than mine. So today we're just going to kind of talk a little bit about how and you and I plan travel and some of the tools out there and whatnot. But before we get too far into that, we're going to thank our sponsor today. Our sponsor is Heritage Suites, and it's a sweet hotel in Siem Reap, Cambodia. It kind of has a bit of classic colonial cool, wouldn't you say? Yeah, it's definitely got a cool vibe. Uh, even if you don't stay there, they have some live jazz music on certain nights. They throw uh, really Thursday, yeah, Thursday nights, cocktail parties, and probably even some like lectures from visiting uh, experts yeah. on, on things. Um, so it's definitely a, a really nice place to stay. Yeah, yeah, it's great. So thanks so much to Heritage Suites for sponsoring. So why don't we, for our first section, you know, talk about planning, where to go, and researching destinations. Yeah, you know, it, it's like, where where are you going to go? Where are you going to 
travel to. Um, clearly, I don't think you're going to go out and buy a guidebook right away until you know what countries you're going to visit. Um, like here in Southeast Asia, are you going to go to Thailand and Cambodia? Are you also going to go to Vietnam? Mm. How long are you going to spend in each destination? How are you going to get from A to B? How easy is it to get visas to each country? Um, it, yeah. it can be kind of difficult to, to get all of that information in one place. So, so where should you start? Where? Yeah. Um, I don't know. Where would you start? Well, you know, like if I'm going to a place I've never been before, um, I rely a lot on my friends' advice and opinions. Um, okay. I mean, Facebook's obviously a great place to, to post questions to friends uh, who I know have traveled to certain places. I get questions all the time. I have a friend right now who's planning his first trip to Bali. And, and as I've spent a lot of time in Bali and, and writing about Bali, like it's smart for him to ask me. So that's kind of the same thing I do. I also just use Google to hunt for random information. You know, like we'll talk a little bit later about planning particular trips, but you know, right. we were planning a surf trip to the Philippines. I've never surfed in the Philippines. I obviously asked all my friends first, but then I switched to Google and then I searched like, you know, secret surf spots, Philippines. Right, right, right. Yeah. I mean, gee, I, I definitely, I mean, I'm going to start with friends. Uh, Try or prior travel experience is going to play a big role. Um, and, you know, chatting with friends, I do get my interest sparked. But when I want to know about a destination, I'll often go maybe into a bookshop even and open a Lonely Planet or a Nat Geo book that's written by you and kind of read up on it. I maybe just do a, you know, kind of a quick Google search and, and see what I can find on there and see what I can, can parse together. But, yeah, you know, I probably ultimately end up, I, I do want that guidebook in some form. Yeah, you know, I agree that going to the bookstore and, and picking up some travel guidebooks can be a really useful way to get a lot of information quickly. Um, I think one, one thing I discovered, I did some market research on travel guidebooks when I was pitching a guidebook idea one time. Um, mm -hmm. and, and what I discovered, like, is a lot of people automatically go to the Lonely Planet, right? Right. Um, but what I found was that it was the most recently published first or second edition of any guidebook um, that, that gave the best information. By the, I mean, Lonely uh, Planets have been around for a long time. So if you pick up a 10th edition of a, a, mm -hmm. a Lonely Planet guidebook, um, you know, they're not necessarily the most up to date because the people who update them sometimes don't have the time or get paid well enough to research everything. Um, so I find yeah. that whether, whether it's Rough Guides or Nat Geo or Moon or Photos, um, if you find like the, the most recent first or second edition, those are, are generally the best. Yeah, that's a good tip, man. I never, I never thought about that. And you know, one other thing that I've done a couple times, but only a couple times, but it's kind of handy is like maybe if you've got a specific question about a destination or a couple of them is now you can go on a lot of travel forums, right? You could even pose a question and say, hey, you know, I'm thinking of this or that and see who posts back, right? People might post back and say, oh, you know, I, I had a great experience here. I had a bad experience or, oh, it's totally rainy and cold there. Then don't go there. So that's another Another way that you could approach figuring out how to go about it, too, that could be kind of handy are those online forums. Yeah, again, I mean, forums probably better because you're speaking with actual people and you can ask them questions about, oh, how long were you there? Like, who did you travel with? Like, you know, try and get some more specific information from them. Because like what mm -hmm. you were saying earlier, when you go to a website like, like TripAdvisor or whatever, um, and you want to go to a beach resort and, you know, like I like to swim in the ocean lots of people when they go to a beach resort they just want to swim in the pool and they don't care right. so much about what the yeah, swimming yeah. conditions are like so mm. like this is the best quote unquote this is the best beach resort ever and then you show up there and, and it's all rocky in the ocean well you, you didn't know beforehand what that person considered the best 
beach resort ads, you know? So that's why I'm mm. wary of some of some of the, just the, the reviews as opposed to maybe asking someone questions. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I gotcha. You know, so, I mean, we've covered a lot of ground. There's no right answer, but uh, yeah. I mean, the next one that I think has changed so much in the last decade is booking airline tickets. And I mean, the no frills airline world, especially in Asia, has just exploded. I mean, whether you're traveling in China, India, Southeast Asia, there's a ton of airlines that offer, you know, good service, great routes, affordable prices. I mean, it's not uncommon to fly from one country to another of a couple hours flight in length for like $50. And sometimes if you see specials come up, like I got a return ticket to Bali once for like $30. So, I mean, it's sort of your, your options are unlimited, huh? Yeah, you know, I mean, AirAsia is certainly like my go-to airline for the best bet for cheap online fares around the region. But there's other smaller characters. I I, I can't stand Noke because of the customer service that I've experienced. But but Noke Airlines flies to some lesser-known destinations within Thailand that that no one else offers fares to, and they're quite cheap. Mm. So Noke, Jetstar, Tiger Airways, Cebu Pacific, you know, Bangkok Airways, Scoot. Um, there, there's so many smaller little regional carriers here that mm. people aren't familiar with, right? So you're going to go to some aggregator. I know that you're not like a huge fan of these no. online. Like those aggregators don't necessarily have Lion Air or Vietjet fares. So, so how yeah. does the traveler know? You know. So we'll put some links to to these websites uh, on our show notes so that if you're listening, you can go to our website talktravelasia.com and and then you can find out a little bit more about these airlines. Yeah, you mentioned the aggregators. Like, I, they're good if you're booking maybe some big international flights. I find, and they can kind of piece together the big expensive tickets. But you know, you've got Indigo and SpiceJet and Vietjet and so many ones now. I think the best thing is if you're within a country or you're going to or from, just kind of almost Google and you can look at our links. But Google, you know, discount airlines that are in those two countries. And I usually find like if if you know maybe well, you don't want to nail down your trip entirely, but if you can book a bit over a month in advance like you can get definitely the best fares but you know sometimes even a week out that's a nice thing too you can just think oh well let's head there and sometimes you can still get a cheap seat but i mean in this region you're rarely flying more than two hours so it's just like a bus ride like get fed before and then you sit on the thing and you go but i mean it's it's such a deal flying around here huh? yeah that's a good point i mean like it's cheaper usually to fly from bangkok to chiang mai than to take a bus or a train oh yeah yeah, because by the time you take the taxi to the station, you wait, you have a meal, and then you think of like what's eight, ten hours of your time worth, right? So yeah, yeah it is. Um, but with the with the aggregators, I, I've been using just justfly.com, and okay. uh, and I got a seven hundred dollar ticket from Bangkok to Hawaii. So some of those aggregators are good. I just think you know you got to take a bit of time to poke around uh, to try and find uh, the best fares. Wow, just fly, cool. I'm planning a trip uh, overseas in, later in the year, and I'll try that. Well. Um, why don't we try booking hotels, man? How do you like to approach that? You know, it's interesting. I use Agoda, uh, which is an online hotel booking website that was started here in Thailand. Uh, Agoda has some of the best rates, especially like, you know, flash rates and stuff like that, just for a couple hours only or a day only. And I think a lot of people in the U.S. or Canada um, aren't familiar with Agoda because it was started here. But Agoda definitely has some of the best rates uh, in the region. Yeah, Agoda is kind of my go-to as well. I remember I never used to use them, but uh, yeah, I usually check Agoda first and then often I'll then look at the hotel's direct site. So I'll see the prices on Agoda are pretty much always going to be the best, but sometimes there's some extra taxes in there. Sometimes breakfast isn't included. But as comparison, I'll then, you know, if I see a hotel I like on Agoda, then I'll go to the hotel's direct website. And if it's close, like sometimes even email the hotel, right? Because 
what they generally do is hotels are going to give their own guests the best room that's available then or the, the, the whatever the best is thing. So I'll often, yeah, email the hotel and say, hey, I saw this on Coda. I'd like to book with you. Is there something you can do? And maybe they can even throw in a meal or a slightly better room or whatever. Um, I know that if you want to book real late stays, like there's one called Hotel Quickly. I've never used it, but it's gaining some traction. And I think it really specializes in like, hey, I'm here now and I want a room tonight. There's another one called Late Stay. So, I mean, there's just so many tools now. You can uh, can use. And I know that you're a pretty big fan of Airbnb, aren't you? Yeah, you know, I haven't used it often, but Airbnb is pretty popular in the region. Um, yeah. Lots of, like, let's say in Bangkok, uh, lots of people own condos just to rent out on Airbnb. Um, even smaller guest houses, when I went up to Chiang Mai a couple years ago, uh, Airbnb hooked me up with a, a Korean-run guest house that was really good. Um, so, and, and one of the cool things about Airbnb, everybody probably knows, is that if you're staying with a host, uh, that host might know some great places to eat and where to drink and some local insight that comes along with staying with someone who knows the area. Yeah, I've only used it once, and I used it in Langkawi, Malaysia, and, and it worked pretty well, but you know, there's something about me. Maybe it's just my age showing. I still have a bit of a tough one with that, but I also think, for me, the other one is in Southeast Asia. Some of the places, you can get such a good deal on hotel room anyway. I like to know someone's kind of cleaning the room and changing the towels, but then I've heard the argument with people. is like, hey, you can get a really, really sweet apartment with like a couple of rooms, so if you've got a couple people or a family, they're great, but uh, yeah, I mean, the, the options for booking hotels has gone through the roof now, but Again, I think it's always good checking the app and then also checking with the property directly, yeah? But uh, the next one, of course, is visas, which are getting easier. But, uh, yeah, there's some stuff to consider there, too. Hang on, the phone's ringing next to me. Okay, yeah, no problem. So, Kevin, let's get an edit here. So we need an edit here. Yeah, we'll need an edit, buddy. Yeah, visas. One of the great things that's happening thanks to technology is that you can get uh, some of your visas online nowadays. Um, so you can apply for the visa online, pay for it online, and then print it out. Now, one of the reasons I like the online visas is that you, A, first and foremost, you don't have to waste your time going to an embassy or consulate, sometimes twice, to drop it off one day and pick it up uh, the next day. Mm -hmm. um, and in, at least in the case of the online Cambodia visa, um, you just use that paper as your visa, and then they just give you the little stamp in your passport so that it doesn't take up an entire page of, of your passport. Um, now, I understand some people want the big stamp in their passport, but <laughs> I, I prefer to stretch the usefulness of my passport out as long as possible. Um, and even one time I lost that piece of paper that was my Cambodia visa, and they, uh -huh. just looked, they looked my name up right there on the computer and, and were able to, to give me the stamp right away. Yeah, the online visas are, are definitely the way forward. I mean, often countries are charging, say, $10 more to do it online. But yeah, if, if it's one of these that you've got to, like, I know some countries, like I think Myanmar, you got to go down to the embassy, then you got to, you know, back home or wherever you are, and then you got to take another taxi. Yeah, I mean, it's lines, it's time, it's four taxi rides. So, I mean, that's way more than 10 bucks. Um, in the case of Cambodia, like you mentioned, the nice thing is like if you get visa on arrival, it's pretty easy and quick. But yeah, I mean, you know, you're waiting in line and so forth. And then they put a sticker that takes up that whole page. So your passport erodes quick if you're doing a lot of traveling. So, I mean, e-visas now, I think you can almost get them for like Vietnam. I've heard Myanmar, Sri Lanka, you can. Um, it's getting easier and easier. But one thing that's really worth uh, having an eye out is search for like government 
e-visa web pages because there's businesses now so i know this happened to my dad with sri lanka is he thought he was on the government e-visa site for sri lanka mm. but it was a page that looked like it run by another company and they charged like triple the e-visa rate yeah and so yeah you do get your e-visa they just apply for it online and then charge huh. you like this yeah. way extra fee so maybe like do a few searches check a couple sites to make sure you're doing dealing directly with that country's government yeah, you know, and, and for the countries that don't offer online visas, um, I think it's actually a good idea. Like, sometimes you're not going to plan out your whole trip, but if you get a, a visa, let's say, for Vietnam, um, it's probably good for a year. I mean, your, your entry is only good for, let's say, 30 days, but it's 30 mm -hmm. days from when you enter. So, yeah. you know, even if you, you might go to Vietnam, you might want to go ahead and get that visa before you even leave because, you know, when you're here and you need to go find the Vietnam visa, which is easier to find than, let's say, the Cambodian visa in Bangkok, um, those are closed on Vietnamese holidays. You know, if you want to get a Cambodian visa when you're in Vietnam, that's going to be closed on a Cambodian holiday. And if you don't know those things and you only have like a short window to get your visa, like it can be a big hassle. Yeah. And I mean, if you're on a shorter trip, do you want to waste your days going to embassies in foreign countries? Like yeah. it's not a good way to spend your time. Yeah. So definitely e-visas e without a doubt are the way forward. And I think you're going to see just every coming year there'll be more and more countries that go e-visa and make it quicker and easier it's and, and a lot of them will drop those visa requirements altogether yeah well uh visas out of the way how the heck do we get around when we're in places you know it's funny uh when people come to thailand or, or bangkok particularly yeah. i tell them that rule number one is never get in a parked taxi because a taxi yes. that's parked and waiting is ready to take advantage of someone and take them for the proverbial ride it's um, like a spider's web isn't it yeah so when i had a friend recently visiting me and i told her that we had uber in bangkok she was literally like this is a game changer you know yeah because you know uber is available in in china hong kong macau taiwan japan south korea new zealand india indonesia philippines like all over the region you know and and it's on your mm -hmm. phone uh you're already going to pay for it with your credit card the driver knows where you are he knows you know where you're going to go um it it definitely is a useful tool here in the region yeah i started using uber when i was living in malaysia and i gotta say it's it's pretty nice man it's like a you're not worrying about cash it's going straight to your credit card and uh yeah the person knows where you are they know where you're going which i really like because often you're in a taxi and you're trying to trying to explain to them where you're going which can be an impossible task whereas these guys have an app and it shows them where you're going and and there's another one you know it's called uh, grab taxi around here they even have grab bike in bangkok that's but it's, awesome yeah, grab bike. It's awesome. It's it's big, certainly in like Malaysia, Bangkok. Um, so either like Chiang Mai has it. But the nice thing again is is they're regular taxis, but they're on the system. So you punch in where you are, where you want to go, and there's maybe a slight slight surcharge, but they show up to where you are. They pick you up, and they know where you're going to go. So it just takes out that haggling about oh take me there and and then having to bargain on price. It gets rid of that. I think that's that's a real big bonus. Yeah. I just recently found out that uh, in Indonesia Bluebird are the good taxis. And there's so many taxis that have like fake meters in, in Indonesia mm. that run the price up. There so I always tell people you know Bluebird taxi that's the one you want to take. But then people started making fake Bluebird taxis that look like Bluebird taxis that aren't <laughs> Bluebird taxis. Yeah. So now yeah. Blue, Bluebird actually has their own app. So when you're in Bali or or in Jakarta or elsewhere in, in a major city in Indonesia, you know, get the Bluebird app and then you can't even be tricked by the fake Bluebird taxis. Yeah. The one problem I've had with Uber, though, is that you need to have a local SIM card. Because when I was in Vietnam uh, two months ago, I went to use an Uber and I could see the cars 
and try and ring one up but then it's like oh you have to have a local mobile so mm. that was kind of a downer because i didn't get a sim card because i was there a few days and i didn't really need it so that's the one thing to keep in mind with uber unless they change that um you do need a local sim card for it to work and and one little tip i found kind of cool a few times is um often uber drivers aren't or grab taxi guys aren't allowed to sit at an airport terminal waiting for people but they'll sit like a couple kilometers outside. So when you arrive at the terminal, if like the taxi queue is huge or you don't want to deal with them, just open one of those apps. And sometimes you'll see a car just sitting like a couple K away and they're just waiting for someone to ping them. And then they'll give you a ring and they'll come in and, and pick you up at the door. So that can be a good way to get in too. Hey, you know what? When you mentioned that too, about having a local SIM card, uh, I rely a lot on Google Maps. Mm-hmm. Um, if you, like the best place to get a local SIM card is almost always at an airport. You know? Yeah. So, yeah. so when you get off the plane, even if you're going to, oh, I'll buy a, a cheap smartphone at a 7-Eleven later, which you can do here in, in Bangkok and, and maybe in yeah. a lot of other cities. Burners. Uh, get, yeah, get that SIM card at the airport. Because like, even when I'm in a random taxi, like when I first started spending time in Ho Chi Minh City and I'd be in a taxi, sometimes it's hard to explain to him where you want to go because of the language mm-hmm. barrier. But if you have Google Maps open on your phone or on your iPad and you can see where you want to go, you can tell them turn right, turn left, or you can tell if they're taking you on a ride somewhere um yeah or or if you're exploring on a motorbike on one of the islands or something like that like having a a, a local sim card for your smartphone so that you can use google maps uh, is huge yeah and something a little trick on that i've done is uh in fact i did it in vietnam is i didn't have a local sim card and data but while i'm at wi-fi i open the google map right Mm -hmm. and maybe i punch in where i want to go and it shows me my route and then when you do walk outside even without data or, or a local sim card it'll still track your dot where you are, right? So you get the map while you're connected to Wi-Fi, then you walk out and you can still kind of follow it, which is, is uh, pretty slick. Yeah, you know, I found that too with with a local SIM card, even if it doesn't have any money on it. Like it, it, it tells you like Google the and, and Apple, I guess, working together have done a pretty good job. Um, now, using Google Maps to find stuff is another story. You know, I was doing research for the, the Nat Geo guidebook, and I was trying to find uh, some new restaurants and bars and hotels and stuff. And I was using Google Maps, and a lot of their markers were inaccurate. Um, yeah. So, you know, that can be a little bit tricky when you're using Google Maps, being like, oh, I'm trying to find this place. Uh you know, it's not necessarily going to be where Google says it is. I frequently find they're off. In fact, just down in Hui Hin, uh, a few weeks ago, I was trying to find this viewpoint and it put it in the wrong spot, which wasn't a big deal, right? I was driving a car, but yeah, it's it's not there. couple, like, not really tech, but I guess in some ways tech is that uh, one cool thing that's happening here is uh, later in the year, you're going to be able to take the train from Thailand into Cambodia. So they're revamping the rail systems and you'll be able to just slide right between the two countries and rail. And then uh, as years go by here, it's only going to get better because China's pumping a lot of money into uh, building the rail infrastructure between China and Laos and Vietnam. And it's just, it won't be too far before you can really take trains like all the way from Singapore easily up to China. Yeah, I mean, that's the plan. As to whether there's going to be a train <laughs> from Bangkok to Phnom Penh in 2016, I, I'm very skeptical of that. Yeah. Um, but, but it would be nice. Um, speaking of trains, though, uh, you know, the State Railway of Thailand, uh, yeah. again, our, our There'll be a link on the show notes, Um, but they have the schedules and the prices and everything online. You can't buy tickets online just yet, um, and and you should buy your train tickets well in advance because those trains do fill up uh, pretty quickly. But uh, being able to know know, when trains and and buses and stuff leave by going to a local website um, is actually pretty useful as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a lot about uh, getting around. Why don't we uh, 
kind of zoom in for looks at specific countries and some resources in each of those? Yeah, you know, one thing I've found is that uh, when you're traveling around different countries in, in Asia, there's lots of really good English language local print publications, um, mm. most of which are free, they're paid for with advertising, and yeah. they're, they're regularly updated. I mean, right. guidebooks are great because they give you well-researched history and insightful tidbits, uh, off-the-beaten path attractions um, from professional writers. Um, but after a year or so on the shelf, well, these countries change so quickly that that information gets dated very quickly. Um, so I find that when you're traveling, there's some really good local publications that, that do a great job. Yeah, and you know, this kind of applies to all countries. I mean, check your guest house, check your hotel, wander into a coffee shop or a bar, mm. something that looks international, and they'll have something sitting there. And I find at the very least, they're good for a free map inside. But in Bangkok, it's not free, but Bangkok 101 is a, is a pretty slick magazine. You have to look a little for it, but it has some really good, insightful articles. Um, Joe Cummings currently heads up the editorial there, and he's like kind of the famous Lonely Planet writer in the area. And it has, you know, in the back kind of the general tourist stuff, but it has some great like real local stuff that appeal to expats. That's a great one. Another good one in uh, Thailand is BK Magazine. It's weekly. Uh, you'll get it free pretty much everywhere. It has all kinds of stuff about eating, drinking, concerts, uh, trends, all that. And you can get that at any kind of Starbucks and, and so forth. What, what I know you like the TAT guides, right? Yeah. Um, real quick on the BK Magazine, though. Mm. BK, BK Magazine, their website uh, is great, too. If you want to know it what's, like, what's yeah. going on this weekend in Bangkok, whether it's art shows or, or musical concerts and stuff like that, like BK is a great resource. Yeah, yeah when so I was much. working for the Tourism Authority of Thailand, while I will say that you know the information that is available on the TAT website is great, um, if you're going to particular provinces, you know some of the more smaller provinces around Thailand, let's say, the, the Tourism Authority of Thailand prints these paper mini guidebooks. They're maybe like 25, 30 pages long. Um, huh. and, and in Bangkok at the TAT headquarters on Petbury Road near Nana, um, they have mini guides for every single province in, in really? the country. Um, and they're great, like you said, for maps. They have little maps and it shows all like where the waterfalls. Suppose you're going up to Kanchanaburi, yeah? It has information on all the different national parks in the province, all the different like treks you can do there, different homestays. Um, I found them really, really useful. Wow, that's pretty cool. And I, I see you made a note here that uh, dnp.or.th, uh, that is probably right. We'll have it in the show notes. It's for camping at national parks as well. I didn't know that. So yeah, you can, book, you can book your campsites. Or in, in the national parks, some of them have like little bungalows and cabins and stuff like that. Yeah. And so for every national park in Thailand, that you can book a campsite or, or a cabin right online. Wow, that's slick. And then a website I like, it's not so good maybe for travel info, but like if you want quirky news about what's going on in, in a town, Coconuts Bangkok. And I think they have Coconuts like Kuala Lumpur, but they have a, a pretty good list of just kind of fun articles and it gives you a good sense for the pulse of what's going on. So um, why don't we slide next door to Cambodia, Trevor? What do you like over there? Yeah, Cambodia, there's been quite a few little uh, magazines that have been published by expats. Uh, one of the, the most popular ones is the Cambodia Pocket Guides. Um, yeah. And they're literally pocket size. They have several different ones. There's Out and About, Drinking and Dining, maybe another one called After Dark. Um, they're mm -hmm. updated every two months, and, and they're really yeah. easy to carry around. They have good maps of the different neighborhoods of Phnom Penh um, and, and have like up-to-date information on restaurants and bars and, and what's going on in different neighborhoods. 
Yeah, one I like is Candy Guidebooks, and they have a publication, and it's full of good maps to various areas in Cambodia, like Siam Reap, Sahanukville, Good Temple Info, Beach Islands, and so forth. But their website's the bomb. I They have some fantastic temple maps. So if you go to, like, Candy Guidebooks online, they, have, they probably have, like, 30 maps of the temples and they have like the bigger Angkor area and then they'll have ones for specific temples and stuff so I also really like uh, candy guidebooks yeah can can be is is good I think uh, also can be yeah can be with a B <laughs> I thought it was candy no it's I think it's the guy's name who started it one of the hmm. good things about can be in, in addition to the maps is that he has really good information on uh, what bus companies are currently running between certain routes, uh, what yeah. borders between Thailand and, and Cambodia or Cambodia and Laos are open, and what time those borders are open and stuff like that. So it's really useful information. Yeah, it's solid. And then, of course, let's not forget the National Geographic Cambodia Guidebook. Yeah, I, of course, I'm going to suggest that you pick up a, a Nat Geo Cambodia guidebook as I was the author of that. Um, but I think uh, you, you could almost get by traveling Cambodia without any guidebook because can be and the pocket guides do a great job. And then there's another publication called Asia Life um, that's pretty good about what's happening in arts and culture and, and stuff like that in the major cities as well. Yeah, it's solid. I mean, these these kind of free publications, they're in most countries, and they're in Vietnam as well. So, like, when it comes to Vietnam, um, you know, the, the market is really saturated over there. I mean, Asia Life is the standout, the word, Oi Magazine. They're all useful, available online and in print. Uh, City Pass Guide is also a good one for straight-up tourism info. Uh, Beyond Ho Chi Minh City. Um, you need a proper guidebook maybe but within those big cities there's there's tons of these little little travel books and then the corresponding websites and stuff so you can almost just kind of roll up and be like oh i'm gonna head out for a beer or a coffee or something and just see what's out there and, and dial it in yeah you know it's funny now that we're saying this because like in, in jakarta and bali same thing there's a magazine called the the Beat, and The Beat has oh, yeah. really good maps of major areas, listings of restaurants, bars, entertainment options. So it seems like what we're saying is, you know, there's great online resources for, for before you travel, but once you get to these countries, um, there's such good local publications that are updated regularly that give you maps and tips and everything that uh, you can just kind of pick these things up as you go and then you don't have to carry around a big book because you can just you know toss them and when you get to the next destination find a starbucks or some pub and and pick up uh, the local rag there yeah it's good to keep in mind that some of them like can be is like really geared towards the traveler though whereas say in a place like Kuala Lumpur Malaysia um, ones like Time Out is the magazine there and Time Out is fantastic because it tells you about what concerts are on what DJs are playing what art shows are on and that's more about like an expat's life there so Mm. these magazines kind of really differ some of them are going to give you like what you would do as someone living there whereas the other ones are going to tell you oh, this is how you actually go here and when the borders open. So just kind of keep that in mind. And used in tandem, they're really good because you'll find out like, ooh, there's a cool art show or there's an author speaking here, things you would never find in in the Traveler's one. Yeah, and then like I know you mentioned, uh, you noted here in Seoul, there's one called uh, Seoul Magazine, 10 Magazine. Uh, are those right? Yeah, uh, our buddy Jeff, who's doing our North Korea podcast here soon, um, mm-hmm. he recommended those. Um, and then, uh, you know, he said with Airbnb, you can stay in some traditional houses called Hanok. So oh, you cool. know, if you want to do something more traditional, you know, yeah. you have to use modern technology, which is awesome. Um, That's great. Now, for 
getting back to the internet and, and apps and whatnot, um, yeah. you know, I've always been a fan of Travel Fish. Yeah. And uh, full disclosure, you know, I did a bit of work for them here and there uh, many years ago, but I've always found their websites and apps useful. Um, their website has good feedback from real travelers. Um, it doesn't seem like there's the type of distorted information that you might find on sites like TripAdvisor where you don't know who's writing these things. Um, TripAdv or, or Travelfish is mostly for backpackers and what they call flash packers. Um, yeah. But on their website, they have like, you know, the, the review written by the Travelfish author, but then there's like reviews from backpackers and flash packers who have stayed there recently, um, and you know you're getting advice from similar travelers. Yeah. Um, and then their mobile apps are actually offline mobile guides. So you, oh, cool. you don't get to see exactly where you are, but it's really cool. So suppose, you know, you're in Bali, you're going up into Ahmed to do some snorkeling. You can see a little map of Ahmed and it's got pins where different hotels are and where different bars and restaurants are. And as it, it's geared toward the, the backpacker flashpacker, um, it's got a, an excellent sampling of what's there and, and what would be suitable for you. Yeah, I mean, Travel Fisher is a solid source of info. And then I find myself once in a while going to Lonely Planet or Rough Guides. I always find it, I mean, I guess it, it's fair and it makes sense. Those sites kind of give you a certain amount, but then they obviously want you to, to, to buy the guidebook. But, you know, I just find overall, like, I'm kind of in a, a, a nether region in how to plan trips because I used to love it when I'd have my guidebook, generally a Lonely Planet, just because I knew how they were laid out. And I'd, I'd sit down and I'd turn corners and I'd highlight things and make notes. And, and that's what I took around. And now, you know, I'll use some websites to find out maybe specific border info or maybe some up-to-date temple information or search for a restaurant that's good now. But what I kind of I find frustrating is that how do you bring it all together right so you're like oh you got to remember you got to bookmark that page or you got to physically write a note from something you read online or sometimes i've copied and pasted different pieces from different sites into a word doc and then i make the word doc into a pdf that i can read on my phone or i print it out so in some senses well it's great to be able to to find out what's going on right now or what someone's experience was right now i sure kind of miss having it all in one spot and it seems like no guidebook has figured out how to take it digital and make it completely useful. Yeah, well, you know, that's what Arthur and I were trying to do. And, and mm. when, when we were in Bali, uh, we compiled like 1,800 pages of, of information about everything. And we had GPS for everything. And we wanted to just be the, the ultimate travel guidebook, which isn't quite there yet. Nobody's really put together like, yeah. uh, you know, where do I want to go? And then offer you hotel bookings uh, or recommendations in that area that you could then book on the same website. Um, so we were trying to do something like that, but uh, it just didn't get off the ground. So now, like, you know, how do we plan a trip? And obviously it's different for, for me than, than the normal traveler um, because sometimes when I'm traveling for work, I got to go and see and do everything. So I have to like hyper plan and I have maps and the maps are color coded based on where's tourist attractions, where are hotels, where are restaurants. But when I travel for fun, I'm more of the let's uh, just go and, and figure it out when we get there, you know? Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, it's I have a tough time wrapping my head around it, you know, honestly, is uh, I bought a digital guidebook once. I won't say the company and it was horrible because I realized a lot of how I'm used to dealing with a guidebook is I know that a certain amount of information is in the front and the other stuff's always at the back and in the middle. And I'd be reading like, oh, yeah, hang on. I want to see that section again. I had no physically looking at the book whereabouts it was, whereas with the online book or the digital version of the book. 
It was like, how do you just flip from that section to the other? It was really tricky. Well, you know, that's what we did with the TAT website was to try and like, you could bookmark things and then you could add it to a travel itinerary. So then you could check your itinerary and you would be able to like put together an actual plan for for what you wanted to see and where you wanted to go. But again, that was only for attractions. It doesn't have hotels and everything else and, and your airline reservations and whatnot. Um, so like I was saying, when, when I do something for fun, my, my plan is usually like I'll, I'll think about what's, what's the most important thing I need to do when I get on the ground there. Is there a certain attraction that I want to see first or do I need to go get like a visa when I'm there or do I need to, to do something else? And then I'll usually just book a, a hotel room on Agoda for like one or two nights and then I'll figure out everything else when I get there. Um, but, you know, a couple of years ago, we were planning a surf trip to the Philippines, and uh, I had never been there before. Um, we had some, some advice from friends who, who travel and surf there off, often, um, including friends of friends who had a resort on one of the islands. So because I knew that the, the focus of our trip was surf, I just Googled specific surf travel websites and, you know, like information for surfers. So what right. I was thinking is that, like, you know, th- there's a guidebook that's called the Ultimate Cambodia Travel Guide, um, which is specific to people who want to explore Cambodia on an off-road motorcycle. So mm. and I should loan you that book. I didn't even know if you knew that was, was around. No. Um, no. But, you know, if, if you know what your focus is, like this reminded me when I was writing our show notes was rick steves we haven't mentioned rick steves at all but one time i I got a free rick steves app and it was a a, a walking trip of paris art museums or something like that so like if you're going to paris and you just want to see art museums like this rick steves app was great you know so i think like if you narrow down your focus a little bit um and drill down on google specifically like towards what type of experiences you want to have there's actually like websites and apps that are just about surfing or just about art in particular locations yeah that is a very cool thing is you can really drill down so you know just as we're wrapping up i i mean uh obviously trip is a big one i know that you don't like it i i use it it's all right uh travel fish pretty big fans lonely planet jury's kind of out there you know i use it for maybe some light background info mm. i mean rough guides you you think they have good antidotes in there is that right i think they they do the rough guide writers that i the books that i've seen do a good job on little anecdotes about like the what the culture and the history and and that's one of the things i like about the travel guidebooks in general is just that you you get a little bit more insight on the culture and, and the land and the flora and fauna and, and stuff like that you know um, whereas I, I don't necessarily want to use a, a guidebook for, for finding a place to stay. I'll, I'll look on a Goda for that. But then again, it's hard to know whether that's the right place for you. You know, so you were saying like local blogs, message boards, places that you can chat with people, um, even Twitter, right? Yeah, Twitter's not bad. I mean, you could hashtag search, you know, Bangkok or something and see what pops up. Uh, yeah, local blogs are a good one, though, too, right? Because lots of people blog about their city or the food in their city or the whatever the art in their city so that's a, a great yeah there's like too. food bloggers right you want to look for yeah. a restaurant like a food blogger would probably be a great place so you look up like soul food blogger or something like that and you could probably get some good tips yeah well the times they are changing i think we can imagine it's not going to be long until everyone's just working off the device in their hand but uh we'll have all kinds of links to some of these uh sites we talked about on the the uh show notes on our website so make sure you go to that page and drill down to the bottom and we'll have all the links but uh yeah i mean it just makes me want to travel more and it's exciting uh, the different ways we can do it so uh from bangkok this is scott Coates saying thanks for joining us 
And from Bangkok as well. This is Trevor Ranges. Thanks uh, for listening, everyone. And we'll be back in two weeks with another episode. Thanks for joining us on Talk Travel Asia. We look forward to sharing with you again soon. Hey, Scott, do you remember the time we walked on top of the wall at Angkor Thom and Amber?